The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. Welcome to The Football Five, everybody, alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Golden, Josh Laurie, and Rachel McCrigger. I'm Stephen Err. So as we do every week in our show, we're going to go down the final scores of week two. The Jets beat the Bills on Thursday night, 37-31. Panthers beat the 49ers, 46-27. Ravens come back to beat the Browns, 25-20. Titans shocked the Lions, 16-15. Texans beat the Chiefs, 19-12. Patriots beat the Dolphins, 31-24. G-Men knock off the Saints, 16-13. Steelers beat the Bengals, 24-16. Cowboys survive the Redskins, 27-23. The Cardinals take it to the Bucks, 40-7. The Rams knock off the Seahawks, 9-3. The Broncos beat the Colts, 34-20. The, the Falcons upset the Raiders, 35-28. The Chargers run over the Jaguars, 38-14. The Vikings knock off the Packers 17-14, and the Eagles beat the Bears 29-14. Takeaways from Week 2. The Seahawks didn't really look as dominant as they have in years past, but we've got to slow our roll before we say that their dynasty or whatever you would call their run is over because, well, this is what happened last year. Through up until week six, they looked like they were going to be a friend on the fringe of the playoffs, maybe a wild card team if they were lucky, until they rolled off and began looking like the dominant team we've come to see year in and year out. And also, in their loss to the Rams in Los Angeles, they didn't give up a touchdown. So they're they're uh, off at their defense really isn't the issue. Their defense is fine. As long as that's fine, they're still going to be a team to keep an eye on and make some noise throughout the season. But their offense is taking forever to get together, and it looks like they're really missing Marshawn Lynch. To me, the Rams have basically become something of a Rex Ryan archetype, at least early on in the season. Fantastic defense. Offense is a little suspect. Yes, give Russell Wilson some time to adjust, especially with the running game, trying to get Jimmy Graham in motion. I'm not as worried. But especially in the case of the Rams and a couple other teams, how do some of these coaches still have jobs? I, I don't get it. You know, I don't think it's time to panic about the Seahawks quite yet. This is probably the third or fourth straight year that they've gotten off to a 1-1 one and one or 0-2 or oh start. I mean, like we've mentioned before, last year I believe they were 2-2 two and two after week four. Might have been worse than that. So really there's nothing to worry. I, obviously there is going to be some cause for concern, but... We shouldn't panic yet because, first of all, it's week three. Second of all, we have to give time Russell Wilson, give time to Russell Wilson to adjust to his new running game because he's he's been handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch ever since he became a quarterback in the NFL. So what I'm trying to say is, while it has not looked pretty so far, especially against two teams that we don't expect to compete this year, the Dolphins and the Rams. They have scored one touchdown. That was against the Dolphins. They only put up a field goal last week against the Rams. So the offense is certainly looking is looking suspect right now. Hopefully, and Seahawks fans are definitely going to hope that they turn up the heat at, at the end of the season, which is what they've done for the past two or three years. So it's not time to worry yet, but it's also time to look at it and see what is wrong with this offense. I think my takeaway from week two 
is certainly that the Steelers aren't a fluke. I think everyone was nervous about how Ben Roethlisberger would do with these new receivers, Eli Rogers. And while Jesse James isn't quite new, he's still not Heath Miller. So throw him in the mix. I mean, who who would have thought that Xavier Grimble would have had that first touchdown against the Bengals? The Steelers are 2-0 and for the first time since 2010, and that's not a fluke. They are killing it this year. The defense is a little sketchy at times, but Ben Roethlisberger, he knows what he's doing. D'Angelo Williams knows what he's doing. Antonio Brown, while he might not have had the greatest game against the Bengals, he still knows what he's doing. Just because they don't have Martavis Bryant, Le'Veon Bell, and Marcus Wheaton, they're fine. But just think, when Bell and Wheaton come back, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. This 2-0 and is not a fluke. Yes, the Steelers are 2-0 and for the first time since 2010. Let me just remind you people, you might want to think about this. The Steelers went to the Super Bowl in 2010. Well, neither didn't win. They went to the Super Bowl in 2010 after starting 2-0. Unlike the Steelers, who are 2-0, there are eight 0-2 teams. The Dolphins, the Redskins, the Saints, the Browns, the Colts, the Bills, the Jaguars, and the Bears. Guys, which team of this 0-2 squad has the best chance of making the playoffs? I'd have to say it's a toss-up between the Jaguars and the Colts for two real reasons. One, both of these teams have guys who at least look like they're franchise quarterbacks. Honestly, we've got to address the fact that... Wow. Can somebody help me out here? I'm blanking on... uh... Andrew Luck, that Andrew Luck might be a little bit overrated as a quarterback just because of how he was able to revive a franchise after a disastrous year, even though before Peyton Manning missed that season, they had been a playoff team, and he basically inherited that same team. Their offense was inept without an actual NFL quarterback, which he is, and I kind of put... Uh, Blake Bortles in that same category. They both have tons of potential, but right now they're not quarterbacks. Another reason why I say they've got the best chances is because they play in a relatively weak division. Tennessee has looked good, but we all kind of have to wonder about how they're going to fare throughout the season with Ken Wisenhunt as their head coach. And also, the Texans are just one player injury away from falling apart, I feel like, because they are a good team, but they don't have a lot of depth, especially at that quarterback position. And their offensive line hasn't been the greatest over the last couple of years. For me, it involves the Jaguars and then another team. For me, it is the New Orleans Saints. Those are my two teams for right now that I would see having the best chance to recover. Because remember, at 0-2, it's a dubious record because re- uh, records show that you do not have the greatest of chances. I believe it's around 12 or uh, 13%. But if I had to pick, it'd be those two teams for a couple of reasons. One, the Saints, their defense has been suspect for many years now, even dating back to when they won the Super Bowl. But I'm just going off of our sample size that we have of them from this season. Both of their games have been a combined four points. So they've been close. Of course, they haven't won either of those games. They went toe-to-toe with the Raiders at home. Of course, it was that two-point conversion call at the side of the game. And then last week... It came down to a field goal with two seconds left against the Giants. So from all from what I'm seeing, it shows me that they're going to be competitive this year. Of course, they have some things to work out on defense, and their offense has been strong for a long time, so that's going to be fine. And the Jaguars, they were, they, they've surprised me a lot to start the season. I thought they were going to come out, maybe not win both games, maybe go one and one, but at least last week against the Chargers, they just did not look like a playoff football team. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and let them bounce back this week against Baltimore. This is a team that has Blake Bortles. They have Allen Robinson. They have Allen Hearns. I mean, they have the weapons to get it done. Now, if they can execute those weapons and Gus Bradley can put together an adequate game plan, then who knows? The Jaguars can turn it around for right now. Jaguars and the Saints are, for me, those two teams that can come back from that 0-2 record. I have to agree with Josh when it comes with the Colts. 
And I'm going to agree with Dylan where he says the New Orleans Saints. As for Dylan's point on the Jacksonville Jaguars, I never got on that hype train. I can't get on the Blake Bortles hype train. While I appreciate Ken Wisenhunt as a coach, I've always liked him from his days when he was uh, Ben Roethlisberger's rookie quarterback coach and when he was with the Cardinals. I just don't think that the Jaguars can do it. As for the Colts, I think they have the best chance. Like Josh said, they have a weak division. I think while Andrew Luck is overrated, he does have the talent. He's not a, he's not my favorite word. He's not a scrub like RG3 is. He has the talent and he has a pretty good offense that he can work with just as long as nobody gets injured. Now for New Orleans, it was tough to kind of pick them, but really when you look at the other teams that are 0-2, who else are you going to pick? The Dolphins and the Browns? So I have to go with New Orleans just because I believe in Drew Brees and I believe in Sean Payton. Personally, I also have to go with the Jaguars and Saints for slightly different reasons. I see when the Jaguars are at their best, as competitive as they played against Green Bay week one. That came down to a late fourth and one. Yes, they didn't convert. That's also possibly what caused a bit of a hangover. But here's a factoid. The Chargers have beaten the Jaguars, for some strange reason, eight straight times. So this is nothing new. Yes, they looked downright pathetic. Yes, the Kelvin Beecham injury can be a little bit troubling, especially since it was along the offensive line. But looking at all the other teams, you look at the Colts, Chuck Pagano's in the hot seat. You look at the Titans, I've seen Mike Mulharkey in charge. It ended in a 2-14 and season. I say no more. So... Really, with the Jaguars, the division is wide open. I don't even know if the Texans, despite being 2-0, can keep this up. Looking at the Saints, they had their great offense week one, firing on all cylinders, but they lost because of a lack of defense. They fixed the defensive issues, holding the Giants like they did, but they lost that translation on offense. If they can put together both facets like they've been capable of doing, and as we've seen in the Sean Payton era, I think they'll be okay. Granted, the division might be tougher, but just get back to 500, and who knows? A couple of weeks, you might just be back in a two-horse race. A lot of you guys are picking the Saints and the Jaguars. I do... I want to pick the Saints. The Saints, that's my one team. I can't pick two because really the Jaguars, yeah, they ran into against the Packers and a team against, a, and a Chargers team that looks better than they really are, and I'll explain that later in the show. But really the Jaguars have a tough division. I don't know Rachel's saying weak division. Titans have Marcus Mariota, Derrick Henry, and Marco Murray. The Texans have J.J. Watt, Brock Osweiler, Vince Wilfork, and Javon Clowney, and the, and the Colts have Andrew Luck. Strong division right there. So I'm going to go with the Saints in this one. The Saints fell, again, like Bill Dillon said, close games. So they're there is after a very clutch decision by Jacques Del Rio. And a last second field goal in an offensiveless game by the Giants. The only thing the Saints need really to work on is offense. I mean, Drew Brees threw for 400 yards against the Raiders, but then he threw for nothing against the Giants. So that's something he needs, he needs to work on. His offense needs to work on during practice over the week. We stick with the own two teams. Let's go to the Redskins. I said I didn't sell this on. I didn't say it's on the show. I'm saying it now. I said it to a few friends of mine. We might be seeing the second coming of RG three with Kirk Cousins. Uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins led the, the Redskins to the division title in the playoffs at a wild card loss. My might add, they signed him to a franchise tag like they did with RG three. The Redskins are zero and two. Okay. Steven, I get what you're saying about a quarterback situation being reminiscent of Robert Griffin III, but there is a distinctly different vibe to everything. One, RG3 was given the keys to the kingdom 
He was best friends with the owner. They changed the whole offense to work for him. Whereas everybody knew that they had to be hesitant with Kirk Cousins. That's why he wasn't signed to a long-term deal. That's why he's got the franchise tag this season. Also, the feeling in the district was one of, eh, he might be good, but let's see how he holds up compared to when RG3 was here. It was like, oh my goodness, we have our Lord and Savior, the man to lead us to the promised land. In the words of Stephen A. Smith, it was Chocolate City hyped up for this young man, Robert Griffin III. Well, it's simply this. During the RG3 era, the stars pretty much aligned. Kyle Shanahan came in, gave that Baylor-style offense, as Josh said. Dan Snyder, who is pretty much another form of Jerry Jones, except younger, handed him pretty much everything. And for that first season... It was magical. It worked. Then all of a sudden, RG3 gets hurt. Granted, injuries happen, but you see how injury-prone he's become since then. So that was a big part of it. Then Shanahan leaves. You bring in Jay Gruden, who is much a more traditional drop-back passing-style offense. RG3 can't adapt. The implosion continues. For Kirk Cousins... It's not a much issue of, oh, blending the offense or this or that. It's an issue of, does he really have the talent? That was a question mark when he came in for RG3. It was still a question mark leading Colt McCoy to get a start. It's still a question mark now. Despite all of his accolades and everything that he did at Michigan State, Something isn't clicking. So, is he the center of it? Is he going to wind up costing Jay Gruden his job? That makes even more question marks. Yes, I can see the similarities when you're talking about there's a little bit of a deja vu here. You know, has a magical season the year before, leads them to the playoffs. All of a sudden, you think you have a new quarterback, gets the franchise tag, and then boom, you're kind of off to a slow start. There's a different vibe in this in this situation, and while I think, like I said, the scenario and there's the scenario of how the two quarterbacks played out is very very similar. There was a different feel and a different vibe when the whole RG three mania came about, and then of course the whole fallout of the situation where he gets hurt. He uh, gets another concussion in a preseason game. All of a sudden, he's on scout team duty, and then we never see him again until he signs with Cleveland. So, with Kirk Cousins, you know, he it kind of wasn't the phenomena that RG3 was where, you know, he gets drafted second overall, and then all of a sudden, he leads the, Re- the Redskins to the playoffs after being at the bottom for a long time. There's a, there's a similarity in how it's played out. But there just seems to be just a different vibe to this specific situation. So while there are also there are eight zero two teams, there are also eight two zero teams: the Ravens, the Texans, Patriots, Giants, and Stellas. The Broncos, the Vikings, and the Eagles. Which one? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the most surprising 8-2-0 team, it has to be the Vikings. Because they're without Teddy Bridgewater. They just lost Adrian Peterson to a torn meniscus. We don't know how long he's going to be out. This, this, They're 2-0. I'm absolutely shocked. Well, well, that's because Sam Bradford's a miracle. I mean, think about it. Look at his history with the then St. Louis Rams. Look at his history with the Eagles. He had talent, but you wondered if it was just because of that system. Now, you trade him, throw him in a completely new offense, give him about two weeks to learn the playbook. He goes out and has the 
very good performance against a tough Packers team. Yes, new stadium. Yes, primetime TV. Yes, Adrian Peterson before his injury. But that's to me, is the focal point. You figured you could get something out of Sean Hill. Not a lot. He gave you a win week one. Now you have Bradford, who's probably going to be your answer this season. That I never saw coming. For me, it's kind of a tie between the Vikings and the Eagles. And first, let me start with the Eagles. While I understand that they played two teams that are kind of expected to be cellar dwellers this year in the Browns and the Bears, I am still very surprised at the fact that the Eagles are 2-0. Personally, for me, I kind of knew that they were going to beat the Browns, but I thought that they would maybe fall to the Bears Monday night, prime time, you know, all that. And I am surprised at how well they've played, how well Carson Wentz has played, and how great he's looked. So maybe this is an Eagles team that's going to shock us all. I still don't believe in that yet. They played two very, they they played two teams that aren't exactly going to be playoff contenders. So we haven't gotten the best of uh, sample sizes, but they're they're still two teams, and we got to give them credit for that. So I'm kind of surprised with that. And then the Vikings. I didn't know, I kind of thought that they might have lost to the Titans because Sean Hill isn't exactly the optimal starting quarterback. They pulled out that win with their defense, and then they used their defense again, mixed that in with a very solid Sam Bradford performance, and they pulled off a pretty thrilling Sunday Night Football win over the Packers. So those two are very shocking for me, and I'm very interested to see, especially with injuries and tougher competition, if those two teams can keep it up. Here's the thing about the Vikings. They have the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL, Mr. Stephon Diggs, who was a five-star recruit when he left, graduated from Good Counsel, a school that's consistently one of the best in the nation, and had won four straight championships in the WCAC, a conference in the D.C. metro area, dominated by DeMatha Catholic, who's been ranked in the top five consistently for the last couple of years. But then he went to Maryland instead of going to Alabama, like his younger brother is doing, who's one of the cornerbacks they have down there right now. And he got hurt, and also he had no quarterbacks throwing to him at Maryland. I was at Maryland during his tenure there. At one point, they were having a scout team linebacker line up at quarterback for a a two-game stretch because everybody got hurt. So Stephon Diggs is the truth. He's about to be the next Antonio Brown when we talk about a quarterback, a wide receiver who comes out of absolutely left field to become a dominant guy in the NFL. He's already drawing comparisons to Randy Moss. And when you've got a game changer like that, it just raises the entire level of your team. Also, Sam Bradford just was able to be a quality quarterback who could get him the ball, and that's all they needed. I don't want to hear any more praise from him because I had to listen to Chris Collinsworth treat him like he's the second coming of Peyton Manning during the broadcast on on Sunday night. Speaking of Peyton Manning, the team that's been shocking me is... The Denver Broncos. Honestly, I did not see them winning against the Carolina Panthers or against the Indianapolis Colts. I didn't at all. To see them win against the Panthers in that Super Bowl matchup, that was that was pretty I'm not gonna lie, that was pretty cool. But the fact that they have this new quarterback in this new in this new system for him. And they're able to real like go against two tough teams. I know the Colts look shabby, but they're still considered a pretty tough team. That's pretty special. Gary Kubiak's working his magic. Good point, Rachel. You made a very good point. I said before the season that the the Panthers when they meet the Broncos, it's over. The, the Panthers are going to put up fifty points against the Denver defense and just kill them. And then uh, Graham Goodell can't kick a 40-yard field goal to win the game. 
and, and there goes my bold prediction from the previous show. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Hashtag so, no good. Ah, oh, jeez. So we move on now. Thursday Night Football, Bills, Jets, Revis Island. What, what the heck? Like, he's been burned in both games. Let, Adrian, let, me, let me say something. I, I'm from Aliquippa, and so I'm from where Darrell Revis is from. Revis Island is not dead. He had a camp this summer in Aliquippa, and he looked great. Revis Island isn't dead. I'm going to put it at that mic drop. Yeah, I want to make a point, too. While Darrell Revis has not looked like the Darrell Revis that we saw with the Jets that made it to the AFC Championship five or six years ago, I want to mention a tweet that was sent out. I forgot who it was by, but I really caught my eye. It made two points. First off, Marquise Goodwin, who made that spectacular 84-yard catch, is an Olympic sprinter. He le- he has Olympic speed. So for Darrell Rivas, who's in his 30s, to try and catch up with with someone with Olympic quality speed, that's not exactly going to turn out well every single time. And oh well, I'm not trying to defend Darrell Rivas because you know you're an NFL cornerback. You're supposed to make the plays, but I I I'm just pointing out. Now, Marquise Goodwin is one of the fastest players that the NFL has ever seen because he competed in the Olympics in 2012. And second off, in this tweet, it was also mentioned that Darrell Revis, the 31 other teams would take Darrell Revis right now. So there isn't any drop-off. Revis Island hasn't become a uh, a tourist attraction yet. So let's just calm down for a little bit, relax, realize this is an Olympic sprinter, and that pretty much every other NFL team would still take him. While he hasn't looked as great as he has, there's still time for him to show that he's still one of the best best cornerbacks in the league. Before anybody else talks, I just want to make this point here. I want I want I want you guys to know who the Jets' next three opponents are. And if it's, if this if I'm right, Darrell Reeves is going to be drowning like uh, like a hurricane. The Chiefs. He might face Jeremy Macklin. Jeremy Macklin caught like almost all the touchdowns for the Chiefs last season. The Seahawks. We have to go up against Doug Baldwin. Oh my God, he's gonna be fooled like nobody's business. The Stellas. If you just go up against Antonio Brown, put Antonio Brown on your fantasy team. It'll be the best thing you do week five. Uh, Eric, Josh, do you guys have any uh, rebuttals toward my Darrell Revis is a tourist attraction thing? He got paid for past play. He doesn't deserve the contract that he got, but I'm not going to hate on a man for making the money while he can. As for saying he's a tourist attraction, that might be a little harsh, but he's no longer the game-changing shutdown cornerback that he was earlier in his career. That's just a fact. I mean, I'm not calling it a tourist attraction. I'm just saying climate change has made Revis Island a little smaller. And when you list off those next three opponents, given what they've done this season, the only one I would even see a remote problem for Revis with is Antonio Brown. Jeremy Macklin, look at how he was controlled against the Texans. Doug Baldwin, I'm sorry. In two Seahawks games, there have been a combined 34 points. To me, I think Revis, a a little bit of landscaping on the island, maybe trim some of the palm trees, but it'll be looking nice. Week five, then I would start to worry. Barry Church. Thank you. (laughs) That is it for our week two recap. We preview week three. Next! Hi, I'm Donovan James, and welcome to the Don James High School Football Report, everybody, where we discuss and debate the hottest prep and college football recruiting topics in the country every week, only here on NGSC Sports, 9.30 Eastern. For more, follow me on Twitter at Don James Sports. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. 
We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. What's up, y'all? It's Drew and Q, and we have a brand new podcast they would like to call Uncapped, where we talk about everything going on in the world, but mainly sports. Well, I guess you're right. You can tune in to us every Saturday on SoundCloud.com forward slash The Uncapped. Again, that's SoundCloud.com forward slash The Uncapped. This is awkward. We're done. Just for the outro. Coming from the streets of Waldorf, MD. It's the squad Q, Mayo, Drew, Ski, and Kenny B. We got a brand new show, guaranteed to snap. It's a little thing here we like to call a cap. It's all about the sports, the X's and O's. Some fans answer questions, keep us on our toes. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show. You about to pop it all. You ready? Let's go. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. to We all saw that coming. Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football Five. All right, welcome back to the Football Five. Joshua Laurie, Eric Watkins, Bill Golden, Rich McCrigger, and Stephen are here with you. We now preview week three, and I want to go right to the game that nobody gives a rip about. The Dolphins and the Browns. Because, Josh, if you remember, you wrote an article for Everything NFL Incorporated about the Browns. What was that article about? Do you remember? It was a season preview, and it was pretty much me saying that this is going to be a rough year for football in Cleveland. Not like it. there hasn't ever been a rough year, a good year except for 2002 since the new Browns started up. But, yeah, it's going to be rough. But on the bright side, this is one of the five or six games on the schedule that the Browns have a chance to win. Of course, I was saying that when I didn't think they were going to be starting a rookie quarterback, and I thought their offensive line was better, because so far they've gone through two quarterbacks in two weeks, which is never a good sign. Granted, RG3 is the most fragile athlete ever, but yeah, they they let their quarterbacks out to dry and take so many hits that I'm scared for Cody Kessler and his future. Not only have they started two quarterbacks in the last two weeks, they've started five in the last five weeks. This is the fifth starting starting quarterback in the last five games for the Browns. Actually, so six. Is it six? I thought I was in five. Last time they – this is the second t- – last first time since last season that they're going to be starting three different quarterbacks in three different weeks. Uh, the Browns the, – you guys are saying – well, I'm so, I assume you'll say when I say this that the Browns are a dumpster fire and this is – I'm going to be the only one that's going to say this. Cody Kessler starting week one, for, not week one, he's starting in Miami against the Dolphins for the Browns. 
Him and Corey Coleman. Something about these two. I said this before the season. If we have a team full of Browns rookies, watch out for the Browns. No, and no. For, the for, thing the, for is, this game, watch out for the Browns. Steven, the thing is, he's not going to have time. They don't have any continuity on that offensive line since they let all their free agents walk. I am intrigued by the Browns' approach to team building. It's reminiscent of what the Philadelphia 76ers have done, where it's all about acquiring assets and trying to get future stars. And it makes sense looking at their team's timeline and the timeline of the rest of the teams in the division. Whereas in five years, all the other franchises, in theory, should be on the downswing. Now, with the way the Steelers and the Bengals have been able to build their teams over the last decade, that might not be the case. But we're already starting to see that downslide of peak performance from the Ravens. I just want to make a point about the Browns before we even dive into this game. And this was another tweet I saw on Twitter, so Twitter's really helping me out tonight. For the fact that the Dolphins are 10-point favorites, I get it, they're at home, all that. But they're 10-point favorites as an 0-2 team. Now, that is extremely rare. So that just goes to show you how much Vegas thinks of the Browns. I just wanted to make that point. I'm not saying it has anything to do with the game. It's just really something of how everyone thinks of the Browns. I believe, I don't know if this is exactly right, but where I be- I think we're be- entering the territory of 27 quarterbacks since 1999, something around that number. They just cannot find a quarterback that, one, can stay healthy, or two, lead their team to a quality season. Brian Hoyer was the last quarterback that could, that even had, a, that even did it successfully enough to the point where they were competitive for the, for the, for the whole year, which was, I believe, 2014. But ever since that, we've had the Johnny Manziel saga. We've had uh, Austin Davis for a week, I believe. We've had now... Uh, of course, Josh McCown, Robert Griffin III, we have Cody Kessler. So, I mean, it, it's literally, it's just like a rotation. It's like they have a new quarterback every week. And I don't know, maybe it's going to be someone different next week. Maybe someone different in week five. Like, is there going to be a different quarterback almost every week? I mean, that's a problem that the Browns have to solve. Because literally, if we're going to be at 30 quarterbacks since, I believe, 1999 or around that year, then there's really a problem because there's a couple of teams that have only used one or two. I'm looking at teams like the Patriots, for example. So, I mean, like, I, I, I just cannot believe that this is the way, this is what's happened. But knowing the organizational structure of the Browns and how they run things, it's almost not as surprising as it would sound. Well, to piggyback off of those stats, yes, 27th quarterback since they came back in the NFL in 99. Steven, Yes, second team since the merger was completed in 1970 to start a different quarterback five consecutive games. This is a sign of organizational failure. Josh referenced them to the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers are at least being terrible, but acquiring assets and waiting for that time. Then they can strike. Then they can be good for years to come. Cleveland has always had the solution of you get one year to turn off the dumpster fire, to put a hose on the flaming tires. That's all we're going to give you. That's all our fans have a patience for. Uh, But Eric, if you look at how they moved in the draft, they went to accumulate as as many draft picks as they could, not just in this draft, but in upcoming drafts. And the fact that they brought in a baseball guy to be running their personnel kind of makes me think that they're going to be trying to do a new system and a new way of thinking, which they honestly have to, because after a certain point, Cleveland's just going to give up on professional football, especially with the Cavaliers looking like they could be the best Eastern Conference team for the next decade. Well, this is very true, but if you are starting to have that long-term strategy, why do something like fire Rob Chunsitsky after one year for something that really wasn't even his fault? Even teams like a Baltimore, like a Pittsburgh, like all of these great organizations, they know they're going to have down years, but they're where they need to be stability because they know it's going to pay off. And again, going back to Jacksonville in the Del Rio era, The front office and the GM built for the future, 
but told Jack Del Rio, you have to win right now. Only now, in the past four or five years, is it even building to where coach, GM, everyone is on the same page. I don't see that connection with the Browns. Dylan brought up 10 points. I'm sorry, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, sorry. As for the Browns when it comes to the quarterback situation, I'm going to combine a little bit of football with a little bit of footy. And footy meaning soccer. But I'm from Europe, so I call it football. So the goalkeeper and the quarterback are two very similar positions. They're the positions that the people have to listen to. They're the ones that see everything that go on the field. Now, if you switch out a new goalkeeper every single week, there's no consistency. If you switch out a quarterback every single week, there's no consistency. But even worse with the quarterback, even worse there, is you have to form an offense around them. Kind of going back to what I, b- I believe it was Josh, what Josh was saying about RG3 and Kirk Cousins in Washington. You got to build an offense around that quarterback because they are the centerpiece. If Cleveland keeps switching in and out quarterbacks, they don't have an offense to build around. So Dylan brought up a point that the Dolphins are 10 point over Favorites against the Browns, I'm going to say underdogs. But Dylan, Eric, Josh, you know, we've covered Miami sports together before. The Dolphins' defense is garbage. I mean, they were the dream team defense in 2015 with Olivier Vernon, Dom Kansu coming to town. Cameron Wake was going to do big things. They had Cortland Finnegan. They finished 6-10. and 10. And uh, Corey Coleman, he's a, he's a rookie. Last season, or the season before, when he before he broke before he suffered a real season-ending injury, Baylor, he caught 15 touchdowns in like six or eight games. That is imp- and what he did last week to the Ravens defense, impressive. Cody Kessler, also an impressive quarterback, watched him at USC, just about as impressive as every USC quarterback I've seen. And that is why I'm not saying the Browns are going to win, but watch out for the Browns when they go to Miami this weekend. As shocked as I am with Vegas' confidence, somehow 10 points to me seems about right. I mean, if you can't give veteran quarterbacks or quasi-veteran quarterbacks time to do something, after all the ridicule that Miami's going through with what happened in Seattle, with what happened against the Patriots, you get them now with pretty much fresh meat, Knowing that something has to click, this could get ugly. Let let me just preface this before uh, I start talking about this game. Let's just say the Dolphins are lucky that this game happened to be the first regular season game that the Dolphins will be playing in their new Hard Rock Stadium. Because if it was just a normal regular season game, let's just say, I'm sure people would probably rather be watching another football game than this uh, game that's about to go down on Sunday. But... They're lucky it falls on this day, and there's probably going to be a good amount of fans. But now, let me just say, Jarvis, the wide receiver Jarvis Landry said something last week after they almost beat New England. He said, we can't be an almost team. Basically meaning they can't be a team that said, we almost came back. We almost won. We, we, you know, he's trying to say that they have to be assertive. They have to win. They can't just say, oh, we almost win. So they're clearly motivated. They know that they've come close with two of the league's best, with Seattle and New England. Obviously, it was not close with New England. It was 31-3 until they roared all the way back to make it 31-24 and have a chance to tie it at the end of the game. So they've gone basically toe-to-toe with two of the league's best, and obviously those two teams were in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. So I think this Dolphins team's going to be motivated, playing in a new stadium, uh, in a renovated stadium, should I say, for the first time since, I don't e- I mean, the, the the stadium's changed like seven times with its name. So let's just say they're playing in a brand new renovated stadium. They're going to be excited about that. And for me, it's really hard for the Browns to have success when they are literally having a rotation at quarterback. It's almost like they're just saying, you get quarterback this week, you're at next week. It's like they're, it's just that you can't do that as an organization. So 
for me, it almost is as realistic as it as it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound too realistic, but if you look at it, I just don't see the Browns really coming. I mean, I'm, they're not going to get blown out, obviously, but I just don't really see it right now. Until they prove to me they can be close, obviously they came close with Baltimore, but I think Miami's going to be motivated. So right now I'm looking at that 10-point uh, favorite as a realistic tag. If, if the Browns wound up winning on Sunday, Eric, I will be popping the champagne this time. I don't know you. <laughs> Deal. There we go. So let's move on now. We're going to actually cover two games right here. Two. I feel like they're important games. Some people might not think so. You got the Lions at Lambeau against the Packers. And you got the G-Man hosting the Redskins. Why do I feel like these two games are so great? They're going to be great Sunday. The Lions won their first game at Lambeau since 1991. It's been 25 years. Uh, only Eric is more older than 25 years old. <laughs> uh, and the Giants, it's OBJ against Josh Norman, part two. For, for my, my point for the Packers-Lions game is the Lions can do it again. They've had a great team this year without Megatron. And the, obviously the Packers have struggled against the Jaguars. They need defense to stop. To make the stop to win the game, and then against Minnesota, they just crumbled. So I say that I see the Lions winning in Lambeau for the second straight year after 25 consecutive losses. As for the Giants Redskins, I think Josh Norman was paid way too much. I believe he only had two interceptions last year. OBJ is going to have a career day on Sunday when the Redskins come to MetLife. Yeah, with your point on the Lions, it definitely could be an interesting game. These are two. Hardcore NFC North rivals, Detroit's going to be look. They're both teams are be looking for a bounce back after both suffering tough losses last week. Obviously, Detroit with all the penalties, losing 16-15 to Tennessee, and then Green Bay falling 17-14 to Minnesota on Sunday night. These two teams are going to be looking to bounce back, and it's going to be a hard-fought game. This is the home opener for the Packers. While I don't think the Lions are going to win this one, I definitely can't dispute that it's not going to be close because the Lions have looked very sharp so far. So with that saying, I am going to be picking the Packers this week, but that doesn't mean I'm saying the Lions can't win. They have a very strong chance with the way they've been playing, but it depends really on how well the Packers' offense as a whole plays. If they play like last week in the last couple weeks, where they really haven't seen much from Eddie Lacy and Aaron Rodgers is getting pressured, maybe the Lions will have a much better chance. But for right now, I'm going to give them a chance, but I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the Packers. And as as you were saying with the Giants-Redskins game, this is a very big game because Giants, when they go to 0-3-0, uh, Redskins lose, they go to 0-3. So this is going to be a very a season-defining game almost really early in the season. This could say a lot about both teams. And of course, we always have to mention the Odell Beckham, Josh Norman matchup because it was the closest thing to a heavyweight fight that it was last year. So it should definitely be interesting. There can de- there's gonna definitely be some headlines, but those two games definitely have some intrigue. I've honestly got to go with the Giants against Washington for a number of reasons. One. The Giants' pass rush is looking better now that Usi Yumanyura is able to use his hand instead of using that club and get better leverage coming off the edge. And uh, that any time that Kirk Cousins faces pressure, he kind of melts and turns into a quarterback who I've honestly seen make worse decisions than a couple of eighth graders I've watched over the weekend. And uh, the Giants' explosive offense with all those wide receivers is going to be hard for Norman and that secondary to contain. Also, when we're talking about the Packers versus the Lions, I've got to go with the Lions. They're Even though they no longer have Megatron, it's looking like we have an Ewing theory situation where they now have – now Stafford is forced to spread the ball because he doesn't have – that one guy he knows he can just throw it to and will make a catch. And that is actually harder for defenses to game plan against. And also, outside of 
Clay Matthews, I feel like this Packers defense is fraudulent. They haven't really been able to stop anyone so far this season, and they were a pretty sorry group last year. So, yeah, I'm picking going with Steven and going with the Lions winning their second straight trip to Lambeau Field. Yeah, I got to I gotta go with that, too. I don't think that any of uh, the Packers can really um, defeat the Lions right now. Um, you know, Matt, Matt Stafford, it's, it's shocking to say it, but he looks good right now. And I think the G-Men are going to be able to defeat Josh Norman and the Redskins. That's not going to be a problem. First of all, let me just say to all of you, Get off my lawn, you young whippersnappers! Back in my day, Eric Kramer was one of the best quarterbacks in the league! Now that I have my old man rant over, Stephen, in this incarnation, I think all of the receivers have stepped up, and most importantly, as weird as it sounds, the Lions have also settled on more of a tight end in Eric Ebron, I think he's going to be the X factor, and if you clean up the issues with penalties and how they did in the red zone, I think the Lions can go ahead, go to Lambeau, and win in Wisconsin for the second straight year, which that would have to go way back in the day for that to happen. But the problem that I saw with the Packers is that pressure. You get a hungry defensive line, and something about the offense, not a lot of underneath stuff. Jordy Nelson was much more quieter than I anticipated. And even though you got some big runs with Eddie Lacy, now the Lions can go ahead, stack the box against him. So I've got to give the edge to Detroit on this one. As far as Giants-Redskins... If Josh Norman isn't in OBJ's head, especially now that Victor Cruz has come back on the scene, I think the Giants can win this. Because as much as Josh Norman was paid, not so much for interceptions, but being this quasi-close-to-whatever-you-call-it-shut-down corner, the defense has to have faith in Norman instead of putting some other corner on a team's number one receiver and letting Norman dominate in a cover two or a zone defense, give him the respect that you paid him for, put him man-to-man. Either he has to say it, the defensive coordinator has to say it, that matchup has to happen. If OBJ can get over everything that happened mentally... He can go off, he would put up some fantasy stats, and the Giants could win running away. If not, it'll be closer, because I still don't trust Kirk Cousins, but that matchup is going to determine how quickly things can uh, separate themselves. I also want to make one more point about the Packers-Lions game. I just found this out. Eddie Lacy has 200 rushing yards in his last two home games versus Detroit, so... The, uh, going off of those numbers, he has had made very easy work of Detroit's defense, so that'll definitely be an interesting thing to watch out for to see if he can really get going on Sunday. Last point here. We don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to start on Sunday. I mean Thursday, pardon me, against the Texans. So it could be NC State rookie Jacoby Brissett. Brissett, Brissett, what are you? It could be a rookie out of NC State. How big of an impact would it be, say, Jacoby Brissett does start over Jimmy Garoppolo against the Texans' defense? It'll make a little difference. Uh, During our preseason preview, this was the game I picked them to lose just because of the defense that they have. I mean, I think this is the game I picked them to lose. Actually, no, it isn't. Forget that I said that. But even still... With how the Texas defense has been looking, it doesn't really make a difference who was the starting quarterback. It still was going to be a low-scoring affair. And 
Whereas I thought a field goal would decide the game for New England and that's how they would win. Now I'm giving it to the Texans just because this is a guy they've got to prepare to start with a short week. And even if Garoppolo was playing, he's not going to be healthy. So it's not like he's going to be the best option for them either, especially since they're playing on a short week. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it means the world all of a sudden they, they don't, they're not going to be able to win with Jacoby Brissett. Of course, now they're going to have to start Brissett. And even Julian Edelman, their wide receiver, is probably going to have to be their backup. That's obviously not what their first option would be if they were to look at their quarterbacks. But if you think about it, this is a short week. Obviously, it's going to be less time for Brissett to prepare. But he's been with the team now for a couple of months. He's really gotten to know the system. Garopp- uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has looked very, very sharp over his first two games. And I even read somewhere that he was at practice today. So it looks like they're trying to get him to play this week. Although it seems unlikely given how it looked when he fell on his shoulder. So even if he does play, he's not going to be at full strength. So I'm going to go on and let me say they're going to start Brissett. And while it w- won't be the optimal thing for the Patriots... It's not going to really take away from the game because, remember, it would really help if Rob Gronkowski was playing, although since it's a short week, we don't know about that either. We still got Bill Belichick on here, really, and this was mentioned on PTI the other day. Michael Wilbon, as he said himself, I could be a quarterback and they could still win. That's how just well-coached this team is every week with Bill Belichick. So, while it's not optimal for the Patriots to have Jacoby Brissett for one week, maybe they could sneak out a victory, maybe the Texans will surprise some people. For right now, it's not the optimal scenario, but they'll find ways to really work around that. I think if you can replace Tom Brady with Jimmy Garoppolo, you can replace... Jimmy Garoppolo with Jacoby Brissett. Um, I mean, it is going to be a physical game. I did pick New England for this one, but it's going to be a low-scoring game. I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans won, but honest to God, they're just uh, Bill Belichick is just hoping and praying that Jacoby doesn't get hurt because I don't think he wants to start Julian Edelman. That's a good point. You don't want to start your wide receiver at quarterback. It's just not a good look for your team. Okay, so we've come to the end of the show, so it's time to do our picks. As always, we start with Eric. First pick, blowout game. Second pick, close game. Third pick, upset of the week. Honestly, this one, with the way that the matchups have gone this season, I was looking at it and I was like, now you've got film, now you've got a tape, all these things, but the problem is they're not 100% tendencies. Even though I was bitten by this last week, given what I've seen, I'm going to do this again. My close game, Ravens-Jaguars. Jaguars are back at home, still dealing with a little bit of heat and humidity. They've got their early embarrassment out of the way, going out west. And let's face it, the Ravens had to come back. They gave up 20 points to the Browns in the first quarter. That, if we can do at least something similar, okay. So that's going to be my close one. Surprisingly, my blowout game of the week, it's going to be the least relevant game on the schedule, Dolphins-Browns. I mean, sometimes when you've got two dumpster fires collide, you're going to get an even bigger dumpster fire. I'm going to leave that as it is. As far as an upset of the week, which at the start of the season, you wouldn't necessarily think of it as an upset given who's left and who's stayed, but 
given what the Broncos have done with Trevor Simeon, at some point, the fact that he's a rookie really has got to catch up with him. I think the Bengals finally get things together and play one of the more complete games to kind of right the ship. It's probably not a Vegas upset, but it's my personal upset of the week. Bengals knock the Broncos from the land of the unbeaten. Now we go to Dylan for his picks. Yeah, you know... When I look at this week's schedule, I don't really see the potential for a blowout game. And I have to agree with Eric here with my uh, the Dolphins and the Browns. While I could look at Seattle-San Francisco, going off of last week, San Francisco played the Carolina Panthers very well, and Seattle has not looked too strong this year. So I'm going to move away from that game, uh, uh, guessing that it's going to be a close divisional rivalry game and say that my blowout game is going to be Dolphins-Browns. I mentioned this earlier. Dolphins are playing in their re- renovated new stadium for the first time in the regular season. They are coming out motivated after nearly beating uh, two premier teams in this league. Jarvis Landry voices, voicing his disappointment, saying that they're not going to be an almost team. I think they're 10-point favorites. I think that's pretty much realistic. Browns have a new quarterback again. Who knows? They might have a new one by the second half. I just don't see it. I think the Dolphins are really going to make a statement, and they're going to win big here at home. So that will be my blowout game of the week. Now, in terms of my close game of the week, when you look at all these games, there's a potential for a lot of close games. But for me, I'm going to go with our Thursday night game, Houston and New England. We just talked about this. New England does not have an optimal option at quarterback, assuming they're going to be starting Jacoby Brissett, his first ever NFL start, coming in against one of the premier defenses in the league. Now, Houston is going to be traveling on a short week to New England, a place that has been very difficult to beat the Patriots unless Tom Brady or the rest of the Patriots stars are not playing due to rest. So this is a very, very difficult place to play. It's going to be a tough physical game Thursday night. I expect it to be low scoring, and that could really come down to a game-winning field goal. So that is my close game of the week. And in terms of my upset pick of the week, this, for me, is very interesting. And while you wouldn't think, by the way, the both teams played that this would be an upset, I'm going to go to Kansas City. Kansas City... Did not look so great last week in Houston. They didn't look so great in week one against San Diego. Favored by three against the Jets. I'm going to give it to the Jets. I like the way the Jets offense looked last week. Scoring 37 points on the Bills defense. Their defense didn't look so strong. They gave up 24 points. But in the end, they, they made the plays to win the game. And I think they have enough motivation and they have that big statement win to go on the road and beat a struggling Kansas City team. So I'm going to give that upset a three-point underdog to the Jets. Josh, who you got? Yeah, so for my close game of the week, I'm going with the Rams versus the Buccaneers. It's a classic case of we've got one team who's got a great defense, but their offense can't do jack. And they're going up against another team with an offense that has a lot of potential and a defense that they've got some players, but isn't necessarily going to be consistent week in and week out. I think that the Buccaneers sneak away with this one purely because Jameis is a better quarterback than whoever the Rams will be trotting out. In my blowout of the week, I'm going with the Cardinals versus the Bills. I don't know why Rob Ryan feels that he has to have his brother... I don't know why Rex Ryan feels like he has to have his brother Rob with him everywhere. But uh, Rob's inability to coach a defense is why Rex Ryan's going to be one of the first coaches fired this season. And for my upset, I'm going with the Monday night game. I know the Saints are three and a half point favorites, but the Falcons looked pretty spry to me last week, and I think that they can get the W in New Orleans. Rachel? 
Yeah, I'm with Josh on the blowout game. I have the Cardinals just obliterating the Buffalo Bills. Um, for for my close game, I have the Steelers and the Eagles. I think that that game is going to be decided by either a touchdown or a field goal. Preferably, I have the Steelers winning and going to 3-0. and And for my upset of the week, I have the 49ers overthrowing the Seahawks. Wow. Again, great picks by everybody. I'm going to start on my blowout game. Rachel, I'm sorry. It's the 49ers stand absolutely no chance against Seattle. Seattle's mad. Like this Cardinals team week one coming into week two, they're mad. How do you not score a field goal? How do you score only a field goal against the Rams? Who haven't scored a touchdown all season. How? They are mad. The Niners are depleting. I mean, yeah, they, they didn't give a point to the Rams. But then they also gave up 46 to the Panthers. My Panthers are a good team, but you don't give up 46 points to any team. Seahawks are going to trap the Niners in a rematch of the 2013 NFC Championship game and an NFC West rivalry. My close game, I'm with Rachel here again. Eagles, Stullis. I just hope it's not the same game we saw the preseason when... Andrew Jones threw four interceptions, one in the end zone. We don't, don't see the L word on this show, Steve. I don't want. I don't want to see that game again. But I do want to see a good game between in-state rivals and the Eagles and the Stullis. My upset. Nobody's thinking about this. San Diego. I mean, they have no Keenan Allen. They have no Danny Woodhead. But they're going into Indy. They're knocking off the Colts. I wrote an article about this on Last Word on Sports dot com. Should be coming out soon. No, no Allen, no Woodhead, no problem in San Diego. They're, they're shocking the Colts. Colts going to 0-3. So, any final thoughts before we wrap it up here? Oi, I'm very thankful for Red Zone. <laughs> so I guess that'll do it here for the Football 5, alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Joshua Lurie, and Rachel McCrigger. I'm Stephen Err. Enjoy week three. We'll be back next week to recap it all and preview week four. Until then, see ya. The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.